It's happened. The Democratic Party has officially condemned one of their own. Channel View residents have been bombarded with cancer-causing benzene for two decades. But why wasn't anything done? Plus, we look at Latino representation on city council. Pulitzer Prize finalist Evan Mintz and Houston Chronicle taco columnist Marco Torres join me to recap all the stories from the week. It's Friday, December 15th, 2023. I'm Rahil Ramzanli, and here's what Houston's talking about. Marco, Evan, happy Friday. Oh my gosh, we made it to the end of the week, and oh, we're so close to the end of the year. It's almost there, so... I know people are still looking for that last minute holiday gift. And we had a big episode with Brittany from The Chronicle, but I want to get y'all's opinions on this. Give me some recommendations for last minute holiday shopping around the city of Houston. Marco, start us off. I mean, you can never go wrong with a nice, you know, scarf or sweater. I, I was recently looking for a Black Friday deal for a nice cashmere sweater, and I did find one at the Galleria. But um, I was shopping for a friend of mine. I was meeting his wife for the first time. And I got her this really beautiful uh, Christmas scarf at Macy's uh, in the Galleria. And uh, she liked it. She seemed to like it. So something something on sale, something that was not going to hurt your pocket, but it's going to be something beautiful for, for a family member or a friend. Something like that would be nice. Man, cashmere sweater. Business is booming, huh, Marco? <laughs> hey, Black <laughs> Friday deals, man. <laughs> I love it. How about you, Evan? Oh, I think the hidden treasure of shopping for gifts in Houston is the Houston Museum of Natural Science gift shop. And I might just be saying this because my wife got me the best present I'd ever gotten there, a fossil of two coelacanth fishes. Wow. And it's beautiful. It's romantic. These fish have been the same for 400 million years, and they're together forever. Like, that's romance. That's true love. And so you can buy these incredible uh, gifts of nature right there for you, your friends, your loved ones. Highly recommend it. Nice. That's a good one right there. Love, love going there. Okay, let's get into it. Biggest story of the week. A lot happened. So, Marco, start us off. Hey, we have a new mayor. So, after eight years of uh, Sylvester Turner, uh, we have a new mayor, John Whitmire. So, when the race first started, I thought it was going to be Sheila Jackson Lee in a landslide because of the name recognition and and voters and citizens thought otherwise. So, hey, you know, we have a lot coming up. We have the World Cup coming up in a couple of years. There's a lot to do. Crime, you know, just bringing the city together. Hopefully, this will be in a step in the right direction. Yeah, and that was one of the big things that voters kept mentioning in polls, right, is that crime is a big issue for them. And Senator Whitmire, well, let me correct that, Mayor-elect Whitmire Mm -hmm. was really big on that, kept hitting that point home. But you're right, you know, the voter turnout kind of suggested that not many people were excited about either candidate, but, you know, mayor like Whitmire ended up winning. And yeah, we haven't had a chance to talk about this because it's not even a week old. So Evan, I want to get your thoughts on it as well. Any thoughts from the race? Oh, man. So two big takeaways, I think, from the runoff. One is do not underestimate the power of voting against someone. You had all of these Republicans turning out to vote for Democrat Whitmire because they hated Sheila Jackson Lee so much throughout her entire uh, life as a politician. She's just built up these enemies of people who don't like her. You know, and even when you agree on policy, she just rubs people the wrong way. And that means a lot in elections. Uh, The second big takeaway is do not take progressive white voters for granted. If you look at a lot of these down ballot races, you had black voters turning out for black candidates. You had Republican voters turning out 
for Republican candidates, but those progressive whites just didn't turn out in a way to help some people get across the finish line. And I think that's astounding. Yeah. You know, the, the whole scandal with her, with her recordings with, uh, against the staffer and you're right sometimes people don't care about the politics they care about who the people are and and that seemed to be the case here yeah and as mayor evan it's a lot about uniting people making sure you're actually playing politics and that people are going to be pushing for you championing you so there is some of that and you know Sheila jackson lee didn't get that vote they didn't win that race or her campaign didn't but they are running for re-election now. So the campaign <laughs> announced that she will be trying to get her old seat back. Any thoughts on that one, Evan? I'm so curious to hear your thoughts. I mean, I'm kind of excited to see what happens here because often it feels like these congressional races are already decided before they begin. And to see her go up against Amanda Edwards, who has raised a ton of money, who has been on the ground for months talking to people running for this race and can really make a case that it's time for change. We'll see what she could do against Sheila Jackson Lee, who I think the takeaway from this mayoral election is that you lost the juice. You know, she just doesn't have what it takes to run a big, hard campaign. And Amanda Edwards, I think, is willing to go all in on this. So we'll see what happens. I think Sheila Jackson Lee has to make the case that her seniority and experience are worth it. And City of Houston voters didn't buy it. We'll see if her congressional voters do. Yeah, that's going to be such an interesting race to watch. All right, Evan, let's get your biggest story of the week. I think the biggest story of the week is that Texas is home to the first instance of an adult pregnant woman asking a court for a permission for an abortion since the abortion ban was overturned. I mean, this is incredible. The story is one Mrs. Cox, a 31-year-old mother of two who sought an abortion after learning that her third child, which she desperately wanted, had a fatal genetic condition and that carrying this baby to term would jeopardize her own health and her own future fertility. She went to a judge asking for permission to get an abortion under the state's health exemption. You know, we do have an abortion ban in Texas, but there's a cutout for a mother's health. And the district court said, yes, perfectly fine. Oh, but then the Supreme Court came down and said, no, on Friday night, they blocked the lower court ruling. And then on Monday, they reversed it, saying that it's up to the doctor, not the courts to decide whether something is a real fatal condition or not. But I think that's BS, because when she said she needed an abortion, Ken Paxson publicly said that he would bring charges against any of the doctors who took part. So what is it? Is it up to the doctors or is it to the politicians? I'm getting it from both sides. Nobody knows what's going on. And I've got to say, there are a lot of elected officials out there who have been pushing for an end to Roe, who have been pushing for abortion bans. And now that it's happening, they're afraid. They don't want to talk about it. Ted Cruz particularly got put in the hot seat by NBC News. And when he was asked about this circumstance, he refused to answer. Now, Mrs. Cox had the ability to fly to another state to get the abortion she medically needed, but not everyone can fly off to Colorado or Cancun or wherever. And I think that's something that I want to see Ted Cruz, I want to see Greg Abbott, I want to see everyone talk about. And this upcoming November, voters are going to be able to select who the judges are on the state Supreme Court. And I think we're going to have some new issues to talk about that didn't used to be on the ballot. Oh my gosh, so much to unpack there. I want to start with the Ted Cruz thing. Yeah, Ted Cruz didn't comment on it, but how about John Cornyn also was like, well, no, that's a state policy now. Look, that's I'm a federal employee. I'm, I'm representing the federal <laughs> interest. It's, it's so disheartening to hear our representatives not comment on this, not talk about it, not champion the rights of women here in the state of Texas. And the second thing, Marco, before I pass it off to you, 
I can't even imagine being that family, right? Like you feel so helpless. And now all of a sudden your story is plastered everywhere and you still have to deal with this huge decision. You still have to deal with the fact that she is still getting an abortion. And, you know, it's just so crazy to think about what this family is going through as well throughout all of this with the courts, with the headlines, with the actual abortion. It's just sad. It is sad. And, you know, it drives me nuts to see these federal elected officials saying, well, you know, I'm not part of this. Yes, you are. You approve the federal judges who overturn Roe. You might try to block interstate travel to get an abortion. That's something some Republicans have talked about. Or they might try to fast federal bans on abortion. You know, this is something that's important at a local level, at a state level, at a federal level. And we all need to be talking about it. So the other thing, Evan, with government, I feel like it is our right to express what we want through our ballots and our votes, right? It seems like we don't get that in Texas, right? Whether it be (laughs) with the abortion ban, whether it be with marijuana laws, anything like that, like you just want to vote, right? Like let us speak our mind, let us express what we want and not a bunch of people trying to push a policy to represent a group of people, right? It's so frustrating that we don't get a say in this. You know, historically, I've been pretty skeptical of citizen-led referenda because you can look at states that have it, like California, where you end up litigating every little issue. You get these micromanaging things on the ballot that nobody knows, like, what they're really about. Or you find yourself passing things that kind of sound good, but end up, say, screwing over the state budget. California dealt with that with some of its property tax caps that has led to a lot of problems down the line. And you want people in elected office who can get around a table and debate this. But... At the same time, when you have these things that seem broadly popular and you just can't get the vote on it because you have so many gerrymandered districts, you don't get real representation up in the state capitol, you know, it makes me want to change my mind. And you're seeing a lot of interesting issues being brought up through referenda across the country, marijuana rights, abortion rights, but also alternative voting systems like ranked choice voting that disempower Democrats and Republicans at the extremes and empower voters who are sort of in the middle on stuff. So I'm curious to see if we start to get more and more calls for that in Texas. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens with that, Evan. Okay, my biggest story of the week, and this is so scary, and this goes to our government again. For nearly two decades, Channel View residents have been bombarded by benzene from a chemical distribution company called Kesolve. Now, Houston Landing did a huge investigation into it, and you have to read the entire thing, which is linked in our show notes because it's very thorough. But basically, the Texas Commission on Environmental Quality, or TCEQ, has not told residents about the health risks they face, like leukemia and other blood cancers. There's also emerging research that connects benzene to diabetes and reproductive problems. Here's the kicker. TCEQ has allowed KSOF to actually expand four times since they discovered the problem impacting Channel View residents in 2005. This is unbelievable, guys, that the government agencies that are supposed to be protecting their citizens are actually not. And it's all about corporate interests, it seems like. I mean, the TCEQ has been a joke for as long as I've been alive. They really have been. They're basically the ones who give folks a green light when they know the EPA is going to stop them. And I'm out there often saying, you know, you don't fight the things that you don't like. You fight the harms you want to prevent. You fight pollution, not necessarily the plants. If you can find a way to get your refinery, if you can find a way to get your chemical plants in ways where you contain the harms, that's good. It's positive all around. 
But unfortunately, we see a lot of companies that just don't take pollution seriously. And we see government agencies that don't take this seriously. People are being hurt. Sometimes I wish the pollution was like bright purple in the sky. Remember that time when you had that chemical plant fire and you had that big black plume across the sky for a day and people were freaking out about it. Like if you had infrared goggles and you go around these plants, you'd see those bright colors every day. And I wish that folks would just see that to know what's going out in the air. And and also one of the bad things about plants like this is, you know, they're not in River Oaks and they're not in, you know, these affluent areas. They're in, you know, areas that are, my, you know, minority populated areas and uh, low income areas. What's the deal here? You're affecting the most humble working class people with this cancerous stuff. You know, when is it going to stop? Yeah, and here's some numbers. Today, more than 70% of residents identify as Hispanic, according to the Houston Landing story. The poverty rate has risen from 15% in 2005 to nearly 21%. And here's the kicker. Almost a quarter of the population doesn't have health insurance. So when they do come down with some of these cancers, there's no option. Like, you are out of luck. Yeah, it's so sad to see, you know, communities affected by this when all they're trying to do is, you know, live a, live the American dream, live a life here in the States, you know, if they're from another country, and then you get hit by some company down the road that's, that's, you know, causing cancer or causing other, not just cancers, other health effects that is hard for you to deal with. And if you think about it, we're all going to be paying for this in the end. When people go in for their cancer treatments and they don't have insurance, you're going to pay for it through Medicaid. We're going to be paying for it through the litigation. We're going to be paying for it through the lost lives. People who otherwise could contribute to larger society are now going to be dead. Like when we have to think about all of these harms that don't necessarily appear in stock prices and bottom lines, but have these ramifications throughout society. Yeah, it's just another example of also why people don't trust government agencies to do the right thing. And this story, you have to read it. It is long, but it is worth every single word. Okay, Marco, let's get to our most overlooked story of the week. What do you got? Again, you know, I'm not a huge politics guy, but this is pretty pretty interesting for me. Before, we had one uh, Latino-Hispanic council member here in Houston, Robert Gallegos, uh, District I. And now, after this runoffs and uh, election, now there's three. Julian Ramirez, you have uh, Mario Castillo, and Joaquin Martinez. I've actually known Joaquin for a long time. I... I uh, 20 years ago, when I was at the University of St. Thomas, we would uh, collaborate on projects at the University of Houston, and Joaquin was a leader back then, and now he, you know, he's coming up as a new council member. So out of the 16 members, now we have three Latinos representing, and Robert Gallegos' office said that because he was the only Latino on the council, he wouldn't only hear concerns from the Latinos in his neighborhood, he would hear concerns from people all over the city who needed assistance so now that we have, you know, and I say we because I am Mexicano, Latino, Chicano. Um, now that we have three uh, representatives on this council in a, in a city that's 45% Latino and Hispanic, this is a good and interesting and very amazing progression in our city. Yeah, still under 20% in terms of the representation when it comes to city council, but it is a start and it is something that was really needed. So good to see that representation happen. You know, you saw this incredible win for Latino candidates, and maybe some people think that that means, well, the Democrats did well. But Julian Ramirez is a Republican, 
And you had these incredible Republican victories down ballot, too, you know, because the candidates didn't necessarily have D's and R's next to their names. They just kind of ran as people and built their own coalitions. So you had Ramirez winning. You had Willie Davis, a black Republican winning. You had Twila Carter winning, too. And I was really shocked by that Willie Davis victory because I talked about him on the show previously. This is a guy who says on his property taxes he doesn't live in the city of Houston and basically had no online presence. And he was running against a pretty well-established candidate, Nick Hellyer. But when you don't have a D or an R next to your name, the black candidates turn get the black vote and the Republican candidates get the Republican vote. And that coalition is pretty powerful at City Hall. I wish that more uh, of our elections were this way, because that would actually force voters to go in and do the research and not just go vote by party lines. Do the research. Who's vote? Who's running? What do they stand for? Who are they? Where do they live? You know, that's wishful thinking for the future. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Hey, Evan, what was your most overlooked story of the week? The most overlooked story of the week is the fact that District Attorney Kim Ogg was condemned by the Harris County Democrats. By a vote of 129 to 61, a real blowout on Tuesday night, the Democratic precinct chairs approved a resolution accusing her of not adequately representing the values of a Democratic Party. That is incredible to see Democrats come at one of their own like this. But I've got to say, Ogg's kind of had it coming. Now, some of the Democrats said, well, she's been going after other Democrats and doing these unfair investigations into them. But that's not what caught my attention. I think some of the investigations in Alina Dalgo's staff around illegally directing contracts has some merit. But her refusal to get on board with some of the criminal justice policies, notably the misdemeanor bail reform under the O'Donnell settlement, is just shocking. I mean, Crime Stoppers at this point, I said, yeah, it's misdemeanor offenses. Like, we don't really care. These are really, you know, small ball issues. And when the first litigation was going through, you had conservative groups like R Street and the Cato Institute, you know, on the side of reform. But here we are now in 2023, and Og just won't agree with it. It just seems so stubborn and frustrating, particularly if you're a Democrat and you say, like, this is what we're supposed to believe in. So I think this is going to have big ramifications within Harris County and for the Democratic Party primary in 2024. Yeah, so what happens with that primary in 2024? Shantier is running up against uh, Kim Og. What happens with that? Well, Shantier's raised a ton of money so far, albeit a lot of it donated from himself. And he's running as a prosecutor, which is what he has been up to this point, who is, you know, tough but fair on crime. And I think one of the advantages that he's got over Og isn't just about what your position is on, you know, criminal justice reform and what you think the policies are, it's just that Og makes a lot of enemies. And Shantier is really trying to go out there and kind of be someone for everyone. He's going to say, you know, I've prosecuted these cases, I'm going to be tough. But he can also say, I'm just not going to pick fights like how she has, and I'm going to be a better manager than she has. Can it be very interesting in the uh, March primaries to see how this affects Kim Og and, and what happens uh, for the district attorney's office uh, going forward. Oh, yeah. I mean, here's my big question. Is Og going to flip parties? Is she going to say, fine, Democrats, if you don't like me, I'll run as a Republican. And she'll see if she can get some of her old supporters with these next to their names to vote for someone with an R next to her name. I don't know. But that would be that'd be fascinating to see. Man, a lot of drama in the Democratic Party here locally, and that's going to be something to watch out for. So my most overlooked story, and it kind of piggybacks off of your biggest story, Evan, a University of Houston study finds new abortion and LGBTQ policies can make some states less desirable to move to. Now, Amanda Bomley is a University of Houston sociology professor and the author of this study. She said participants of the study were asked more broadly about their thoughts about abortion bans and restrictive policies for the 
LGBTQ community. Now, participants were more aversive to abortion policies that placed restrictions on crossing state lines to obtain an abortion, and particularly policies that were unclear about how they would be monitored. And here's the thing. People don't want to move to states like this. Like, that is true. And by the way, that story comes from Houston Public Media. We kind of knew this, right? But now this study is officially finding that, yeah, if you're going to have these policies in place, we're good. We don't want to live here or we don't want to move here. I think we've been seeing this sort of slow motion schism happen uh, in Texas, where it used to be you had a fusion between you know pro-business groups, social conservatives, and kind of strong military types. Like that really was the Republican Party coming out of Texas. And it was the National Republican Party model too. But now you're seeing a lot of these business types saying, hey, can we slow our role on the anti-abortion stuff? Can we slow our role on some of this anti-trans stuff? And they're really seeing their power shrink within the Republican Party. I mean, you're seeing the Texas Association of Business. You're seeing folks like the Greater Houston Partnership try to get involved at the legislative level and say like, can we turn down the volume here? And they're losing those fights. You've got to wonder what it's like to be a Democrat and say, like, you know, hey, Texas business guys, why don't you come over to our side? Why don't you try to help us get into office and maybe we'll do some of the stuff you like. But the problem is Democrats can't win and the business interests aren't going to put their gold behind a losing horse. It's funny to see how so many people from California have been moving to Texas, you know, Austin and Houston and all these all this pushback, you know, stop moving to our city. And now, you know, this is this is probably going to be one of the ways that we can have them stop. It's not the best way. (laughs) It's not the most ideal (laughs) way because, you know, we're we're stepping backwards into the 1950s or what? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's going to be interesting to see, Evan, is, look, we've had a huge population boom here in the state of Texas, right, in the last few years. And these policies are really getting a lot of attention since that move has happened. Will people start moving out or is it just part of like, yeah, we're going to say we don't want to be here, but we actually do want to be here still because overall it still benefits us. I mean, the one big benefit that Texas has always had is that we've got cheap housing and lots of jobs. And it doesn't matter where you are in the country, we're going to beat you on that. But California is really trying to tackle some of their housing issues. They're passing some laws to make it easier to build homes. And if at a certain point, those housing prices go down in California, that's where we'll be in trouble. So that's what I'd keep my eye on, not necessarily the social issues, but what the cost of a home is, say, in San Francisco and Los Angeles. Interesting. That is an angle that we'll definitely look out for. All right, Marco, let's end this on a high note. Give me your moment of joy this week. So I recently heard that um, Whataburger, which is a San Antonio-based company, but has also been bought out by a company out of Chicago. Um, Apparently, after the new year, they're going to start doing uh, uh, wings, uh, boneless chicken wings. So part of their clientele have already been taking their chicken tenders, cutting them up, and then rolling them in their sauces, whether it's a honey butter sauce, a sweet barbecue sauce. But now Whataburger is going to say, hey, I'm going to do this for you. We're going to put it on our menu, see how you like it. And hey, there's going to be one more thing you can eat late at night. Or I can take my, you know, my nephew, my niece after school and see if they want some water wings. I like that. I don't even know why they did that. Why are we doing water wings? Why don't we just toss the tenders in the sauce? A bigger tender would be way better. I'm, I'm for that. I'm more of a, you know, chicken tenders with the uh, with the gravy. That's my thing. But some people like the sauces, I guess. You know, I like the classics. And I think when Whataburger got 
bought out by this investment firm. They really started messing with the menu, trying new things. You know, it feels like they've got their consultants in some office, like throwing darts at a board saying, okay, what do people want? Uh, just stick to the classics. Stick with the burgers. Stick with the chicken. Like, that's what people want out of their Whataburger. True. I would say this. Stick with better customer service, faster drive-through times, and just overall quality. The, me- the menu's there, Evan. Like, we can always go get something, right? But if the process was a little bit better and equal across every location, that would be great. Like, anytime I go to Chick-fil-A, it doesn't matter if I go in Dallas, if I go here in the Richmond area or the Houston area. It doesn't matter. I know what I'm going to get in terms of service, quality, and speed of delivery of my food. Whataburger, it's like, you never know. <laughs> it's just That's a good point. Yeah. Like, you know the good Whataburger, you know, like, yeah. the bad like, Whataburger. If you're going to be going to the 610 in Maine, oh, one, man. you're going to be there for about two hours for your food. <laughs> <laughs> Evan, how about you? What was your moment of joy? Oh, my moment of joy is that I have started putting my seeds in my little seed pots and my little indoor greenhouses to prepare for the spring planting season. Yes, you already have to get started now. And I've got a few little tomato sprouts popping their heads up with a few little leaves. This year, I'm investing a lot more in bell peppers. My wife has said, no more tomatoes, too many tomatoes. She hates tomatoes. So I say, fine, fine, fine. I'll do some bell peppers. So uh, expect me to keep talking about this from now until about uh, July 2024 when everything's dead in a heat wave. How about some uh, something spicy, some chiles, some jalapenos or something like that? I definitely do that every now and then, but I've been uh, burned by it, literally growing jalapenos, big ones that you can, you know, stuff with cheese and whatever. And I'm cutting them up and I'm stuffing them. And I go, man, my, my hands are starting to hurt. What's going on? Like, oh, yeah, you got to wear gloves when you do that. Uh, problem solved, lesson learned. <laughs> I can't wait to get a big bag of peppers uh, come summertime. All right, Evan? Oh, yeah. I got some with your name on it. My moment of joy, Marco, I know you're going to love this because I saw that you actually follow them on social media. So I saw Houston Public Media post a reel about these awesome Sunday night luchador wrestling events at the venue Coliseo in East End. Now, I am hooked and I need to go watch this. Now, I know a lot of people are like, wait, you're a wrestling fan. You've heard me talk about it. I love wrestling. I watch it with my daughter. We are big on it. It's fun. The theatrics, the storylines, the over-the-top action. It's so much fun. But there is a local place that does these like small indie shows in this random warehouse and I need this in my life. So this Sunday, I'm going to go check it out. And I already got a group going. We're going to have a lot of fun. I can't wait, Marco. Definitely. It calls for a field trip, you know, in your own city. There's a, there's so much to do here in, in Houston. Like we keep saying, it's one of the most uh, the most diverse city in the country. And this is, you know, this proves our point. El Coliseo Houston, every Sunday you can go in, have a good time. You can eat your snacks. You can scream at the at the wrestlers. You can see them fly in the air and just generally have a good time. It's really amazing to see. I've got to say, I'm not always the biggest fan of professional wrestling, like at that top and national cable TV level. But when it's local guys doing their thing, it's just fun. I'm impressed by the acrobatics, by their skill and by acting talent, too. I love it when they come up with wacky characters <laughs> and just uh, go 100 percent in on it. Now, it wasn't at this one, but it was at uh, an Austin uh, wrestling group. They had a guy who was a pizza chef who would be playing with the dough <laughs> while he's wrestling and like throwing it up, punching it in the air and hit the guy in the face with the pizza Hilarious. dough. Like if you can do that, like I am impressed. 
No joke. Here's a fun story for you. I was once a champion at Texas All-Star Wrestling, which is out in Humble. I was doing a a hit for radio, right? Like, you know, back you do promotional stuff. So, they had me out there. Uh, I took four finishers from local wrestlers. One guy just slapped me straight across the chest and it was bad. But uh, yeah, I I love local wrestling, right? Like, these are people who are just chasing their dreams they're not doing yeah, it for the money right. they're doing it for the love of the sport and i cannot wait like i'm so pumped to go watch the luchador wrestling in the east end i'm all in it's like community theater you know yeah in the best way yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah. with street tacos you can't beat that <laughs> marco evan that was a lot of fun thank y'all for joining us all right see y'all next time That was Evan Mint and Marco Torres. You can find all the stories we discussed in our show notes. That will do it for this week here on CityCast Houston. Our executive producer is Dina Kespa. Our producers are Carleon Jones and AK Al Momin. Our newsletter editors are Brooke Lewis and Adrian Gonzalez. And the host is me, Raheel Ramzanali. Our music is by the band All the Kimonos. We'll be back on Monday with a look at how one judge is helping residents better prepare to represent themselves in court. Thank you for listening, and I hope you learned something new.